We're continuing on in our study uh, in the letters uh, to the church in Thessalonica. We finished 1 Thessalonians the last couple weeks. We've been in 2 Thessalonians. We find ourselves today in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, we invite you to open up to that. There's a lot of great Bible apps on your phone. We will have the words up here so you can follow along. And then in the back, we do have some tables on a grab a Bible table. We think it's really important for everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So if you don't have your own Bible, go back there even now, grab a copy of God's Word, and let that be our gift to you this morning. Uh, and you can make that your own, put your name in it, take notes in it, all that good stuff. So have you ever just overheard part of a conversation? Now, this happens to me all the time. Our, our house is busy. Uh, I think sometimes the conversations they're trying to keep away from me, maybe with my wife, uh, you know, our kids as they get older. But I overhear part of these conversations and I feel totally lost. Okay, I don't know if that's the way that, that you feel sometimes when you overhear just part of a conversation or walk in late on a conversation. Wait, 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 What's, what is the context? What are, what are you guys even talking about here? How did we get to this point in this conversation. And in some ways, this is the difficulty of our text today as we go into chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul and the Thessalonians had talked a lot, okay? In, In person, They had talked a lot when he was there, when they were up there on the missions trip, uh, and he was setting up that church, and he was pastoring there. Uh, Even though it may have been for a short time, they talked a lot. He talked a lot with the people, with the leadership there, and he talked a lot about end times. If you were here through our study in 1 Thessalonians, you will remember multiple times in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about end times. Jesus Christ returned to this earth. Then some false teaching entered into the church in Thessalonica while Paul was absent. And now he's writing them to clear that up. Now, we would have had a much easier time with this text that we're about to dive into had we been involved in the first teaching. In other words, Paul's going to assume that his readers know a few things. uh, And and so those things we're going to see can make this passage a little bit difficult. I hope to clear some of that up today. Because he's writing to clear up these false teachings that are taking place. But again, there are some things that are assumed. So Paul writes to remind them what they already know. Uh, which has meant that this text is, is sometimes, like I said, a difficult one for us because we weren't there for the conversation. Just like me walking in at the end of the conversation with one of my children and my wife, I wasn't there for the conversation. I needed to know what was going on. But we have to remember the truths that no matter where we're studying uh, the Bible, what section of the Bible, God tells us through the Bible, through the authors that are there, everything that we need to know not necessarily everything that we want to know. So as we move forward, remember that, um, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of dive in and just see what Paul is talking about here in 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. 
Now, this is an important issue for Paul. This is a very important issue uh, for Paul, the, the return of Jesus Christ. They anxiously are awaiting the return of Christ, much like we are as a church, or we should be as a church here in the 21st century. He's spoken about the return of Christ in, in, uh, previously with the Thessalonians through letters while he was there, um, and, and preaching and teaching and the ministry that was going on there. Now, considering the, the short time that he actually spent there in this young church, remember we estimated he was there anywhere from three weeks to a couple of months before he was kicked out of the town the original time. He loved them, and he taught them, and he expected them to remember some things. And, and so what should we learn from this, from this letter that Paul's writing, these statements that he is making, that the end times was important enough for Paul to spend a considerable amount of time teaching on the subject, and even to a group of new believers. He had just planted this church, and then he gets right into talking about, hey, this Jesus Christ, this, this person who lived and died for you that now you're expressing faith in, he is coming again. So Paul talked about that early on in these new Christians, these disciples' lives. So if it's important for Paul to talk about with a new church, with the churches that he's involved with, we need to learn and understand and realize that although this conversation can be a little confusing sometimes, it is one that we need to discuss It's something that we as pastors are called to teach on, to study, to give you guys the, what we see in scripture, even if it appears to be a couple different options, and then to move forward with the faith that God has given us enough to understand in his scriptures. Specifically, Paul asked these brothers and sisters in Christ to not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Remember that, that previously in the discussion of the end times, um, it, it had led people to some wrong conclusions. And, and possibly we're hearing about now some false teaching. This time, uh, here in 2 Thessalonians, it's obvious that false teaching was the case. In their current confusion, in their situation, what Paul is specifically writing them about is some false teaching. Things that are being taught as truths that were not. And that false teaching has caused them, you see, to be shaken in mind and alarmed. Again, Paul's using these descriptors, but, but they're, they're not peaceful words, and yet we learn from Paul in other places, he is praying for these churches that they would have the peace that can come from their heavenly Father, right? He wants disciples to to have their, their faith grounded in truths and that no matter what's going on in the world around them, that they can walk in peace. And when you're talking about somebody who's shaken in the mind or, or alarmed, that doesn't sound very peaceful to me. I don't want to be in that state of mind, right? We don't get a lot of details as to who is spreading the lies or even how they were being spread. It, Paul actually hints to a few different ways. Through a, a spirit or a spoken word or, or a letter seeming to be even from me or by myself. So Paul's heard some rumors. He's heard what was going on, but not necessarily even the specifics of how these falsehoods were being 
passed around. But he is very concerned. But we do hear the what of the false teaching, right? If we look at these verses here, we see that the day of the Lord has come. Now, I kind of get this. I remember being a teen uh, at, at Central Baptist Church up in Tacoma and learning about the rapture, learning about, you know, uh, uh, Jesus Christ's return. Uh, I remember there were some movies out at that time. I don't remember the name of them. But do you remember back in the 70s, probably these movies, you know, two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. I don't remember the names of those ones. Obviously, in our day and age, we have the Left Behind books. I don't know how many of you guys read all 12 books of those, a couple of us are willing to put up our hands. Okay. They were decent books, but again, you know, books on the end times. And, and back when I was younger, there was a part of me that every once in a while would be like, man, I don't want to be left behind. I mean, I know that they say that once I place my faith in Jesus Christ, that I can't lose that salvation, but that, did I say the prayer right? A- am I really a Christian? You know, I'd be laying there in bed and wondering, uh, our mom and dad, it's, the house is really quiet. <laughs> did, did the rapture just happen and I'm, I'm home alone, you know, or whatever? I mean, seriously, it was, it was one of those things where I remember as a kid being a little, little freaked out by it. Like, I didn't know exactly what was going on. The false teaching here doesn't necessarily seem to, to be that they missed the rapture, but that they had missed the day of the Lord, That is when Jesus is supposed to come in victory and he's going to right every wrong uh, to begin the eternity that you and I are going to spend with him as he reigns in power, right? Where there's no more sin, where, where, where there's no more shame, the guilt is gone, sickness is gone, death is gone. And imagine hearing someone say that supposedly was speaking on Paul's behalf or even was Paul. Uh, that the day of the Lord had already come, and yet they were still there. They were in their town. They were going to work, and, and they were confused. They were shaken in mind. They were alarmed, right? They were laying in bed at night saying, did I miss something, right? But since Paul had already taught them so much about it, he, he is actually probably a bit frustrated, uh, and we can kind of see that in some of his tone here, that they believed these false teachings. So he goes on in verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless, so Paul's going to say, you know that day hasn't come yet because I taught you these things, and now he's going to lay them out here, unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. When I read that and you you break that down and you take each phrase, that's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. That's a lot of woe. That's a lot of conversations that Paul has had with these dear sisters and brothers in Thessalonica about the day of the Lord. Many, many false teachings out there. Many because Satan's goal is to confuse, right? Convince us that God's words are false. And he wants all of humankind to to suffer alongside him in his eventual doom. So he wants to confuse people. So here he is sending these falsehoods to the church in Thessalonica. Because of all these different beliefs and and so no matter there's so many false religions out there. 
So much humanistic thinking pervading the world. So much worship of science only apart from its creator. Deception, confusion, right? This is the devil's thinking. He is the father of lies. We see that in scripture. He wants to confuse people. And so Paul knows what's going on here. He knows it's not good. And he wants them to remember, I taught you these things. You know what it's supposed to look like. Remember that. And then when somebody comes with something false, you can say, no, that's not true. That's why we at the Grace Works encourage you guys to do your own study. We want you studying God's word. So that if I were to ever misspeak or, or Pastor Derek or Pastor Dave, if we taught something that was wrong, that you guys could come to us and say, hey, this is my understanding of this. And we together as a church could look into that and, and, and figure out if there was something incorrectly taught. Don't just hear what I'm saying and accept that. Don't just read the next Christian self-help book and accept that. Everything goes back to the Bible. Check everything against God's word. We're talking about the real thing, the truths, right? Focusing in on those. And it reminded me this week of a, of a quote I had looked at uh, before, and I looked it back up this week. But this, this is the quote. Federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. They study the genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then when they see bogus money, they recognize it. So I read a little bit more, a few different blog entries. My kids were making fun of me that I was reading blogs this week because they're like, that doesn't even exist anymore, you know? I mean, I'm getting older, but I still go back to the blogs, right? And I'm reading about how these, these, these agents are trained so that they know what the real thing looks like. Brothers and sisters, that is my prayer for you. I want you to know what the real thing is so that if anybody comes at you with anything that's false, anything that's incorrect, you will know, not because I tell you, not because Pastor Derek tells you, not because Pastor Dave tells you, but because you know the truths of God's word. That's my desire for each one of you, to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ so that you can have confidence in what is taught. And that's what Paul wants here for this church in Thessalonica. I got a little bit off notes there. I apologize. Uh, now, maybe it's good we don't know too much about these false teachers uh, because, again, like the, 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 the agents who study counterfeit bills, they really need to know the truth. So we're not given a ton of details here, and that's okay. But we want to saturate ourselves with God's word. That way we know what the truth is and we're able to spot any fiction. Paul reminds them with some cliff notes how, how they should have been able to spot the false teachings. This is what I taught you. Now, the problem for you and I, in some ways, is he didn't go into a lot of depth in this writing about all these different things. And so now we're looking at some of the Old Testament prophetic books. We're looking at the book of Revelation. We're looking at other passages and trying to figure out exactly how all of this falls into place, right? And that's where some of that confusion can come into place. So let's stop for a minute and talk about one highly debated eschatological, which is just end times, debate. When the rapture or parousia will take place in relationship 
to the tribulation. We'll go through this kind of quick. But the Bible prophesies about a, a millennium or a, a thousand year period when Christendom, uh, or in Christendom, not everybody agrees though when that thousand years is going to take place. I would say that across the board, everybody believes that it will take place, but not necessarily the when. Some believe that it started at Pentecost and it's still happening, so it's not at a literal thousand years because obviously it's been more than a thousand years. We read some about this week from some people that believe that it started at Pentecost and it ended when the temple was destroyed. So again, not a a literal thousand years because that was only a few years later that the temple was destroyed. So then it would already be over. Um, we tend to believe that the millennium starts at the end of an actual seven-year tribulation, right? So it's yet to come. The debate is it's complicated, um, but from that presupposed foundation, not even that group, the one that I would fall into, totally agrees about when the rapture will happen. So again, there's a lot of options. There are a lot of things in Scripture that aren't exactly clear, but we still believe work together. So here's a very simplified chart. Premillennial scholars generally agree about this tribulation period. It will be a, a seven years based on the prophecies that we see throughout the Scripture. Many schools of thought, however, uh, on when Jesus returns for his saints in relation to the tribulation. The parousia, or rapture of the believers, literally means to snatch up. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians 4, when Jesus will snatch up the believers who are still living here on this earth into the air. So one school of thought is pre-tribulation. The rapture uh, will be the initial event setting off the whole thing. It'll culminate in the, the Lord ending human history victoriously. That's the day of the Lord kicking off the events of eternity. Okay, so the millennium, right? And so that is one thought, that before the tribulation starts, that, that Jesus Christ will return. Another school of thought is mid-tribulation. At the halfway mark, about three and a half years into this seven years, God will rapture his saints. Okay? And the third major camp uh, is the post-trib camp, or the post-tribulation camp. They see the tribulation beginning by the events described in our text today, the stuff that we're reading about here, and culminating with the second coming of Jesus uh, simultaneous with the rapture. Now, I've heard uh, people from all these camps use this specific text as a proof text for their theory. So again, you can make this look any way that you want to. Is anyone a bit confused because I'll be honest, even this week, uh, even though I studied it in college and I've studied it over the last 25 years, it's totally understandable, right? I think I know what I believe. I know what I believe. I'm confident in it. And then I start reading and I'm like, well, that does make a little sense. And, and, and so I want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, Jesus Christ is returning. Keep that in mind. There's no doubt about that. But this is not essential, Okay, this is not an essential belief that you have to fully understand. Having a grasp of eschatology is not the path to salvation. You're not going to be quizzed on this, and if you don't pass this part of the understanding of Scripture, you can't get into heaven, right? So let's not treat it like that. 
Second of all, um, this is interesting. This is interesting. For some of you, you may be out there going, whoa, 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 whoa. I think this is very important. And I have done a lot of studying. Or now, my interest has been peaked. I want to do more studying. By all means, study up. Figure out what you think. Send me emails or texts asking questions. I have a few great resources that either I'll loan out or I can give you the names of the books and, and you can buy for yourself. We can get together and talk about it. This is important stuff, but it's not the most important. So what is Paul trying to say? Remember, the, the, the reason for these two letters, Paul is trying to comfort these people, to put away, put away the fear and confusion. Remember, they're talking about the mixed-up mind. They're confused. They're scared. Paul doesn't want that. We don't want you to live confused and scared. Now, this world can be a hard place. It can be a scary place. But we need to know the truths, the foundational truths of our Christian life and not allow ourselves to be shaken off of that foundation. So no matter what goes on around us, we can have confidence and peace that can only come from God. And that's what Paul wants here. End time teaching that leads to fear is unhealthy. Even if there's some disagreements as to exactly how it all plays out, if you believe that it's only through Jesus Christ that you will end up in heaven, and it's only through his return that you're going to get there, that's all that's important. Exactly how that looks, we're not really sure. We can all come up with our best guesses, our best ideas, but we don't know for sure. So let's stick to trying to figure out what truths we can learn and how these truths can give us hope and confidence. Aren't those things that you want in your life? I want to have hope and confidence in the truths of Scripture. Let's get back to our text here. Now, with this all in mind, Paul says that there's no way they could have somehow missed the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord won't happen until certain events in the tribulation take place. And now we're going to look at these. One is referred to uh, by Paul as the rebellion. The, Greek, or the word here can be translated the apostasy. Apostasy in, in the Greek is a military term that, return, that uh, refers to the abandoning of your post. When used in the context of the church, it means someone abandoning their faith. Maybe they haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ yet, or there's confusion. Uh, it's a rebellion. To be honest, modern-day interpreters are somewhat at a loss of this. To totally understand what Paul is referring to here, uh, it, it does seem to point to one specific event causing this to happen. Is he talking about a, a specific future time when, when many believing Christians will turn from their faith? Or is this a, a general revolt against God by all of mankind? Or is there another option that, that we can't think of uh, because we didn't get the original teaching from Paul? So again, he's talking about this rebellion. He assumes that they understand what he's talking about because he was there and he taught them about that. And in some ways, we're trying to piece together a puzzle. Now, I love a puzzle. I love trying to put all the pieces together. But if I'm honest, even though I have a good view of this puzzle that I'm, we're talking about today, right? 
I'm pretty sure I know what this picture is going to be looking like. Uh, there are still some pieces that I'm not sure are in the right place or fit right or I haven't gone in yet. I just We're still learning. We're trying to figure this out. We didn't get the original teaching from Paul. If I had to guess, I think it's talking about a, a period of general rebellion and hostility towards God. Now, as I was sitting there at my desk this week, I was like, man, alive, that kind of sounds like what's going on around us right now, right? Right? But Paul is, is saying it, it might be sparked by an event or something, maybe even the rapture. Again, as we're reading, as we're trying to put this all together, is this rebellion? When we all are raptured up, right? Are we, when we're all raptured up, will there be a turning against God as they try to explain away what happened to all these millions and millions of people? We can know that it seems to be in tandem with the second thing that Paul mentions. And the second thing here, it says, is the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. This man is often referred to as the Antichrist because he stands against everything that Christ is and did. He is the evil counterfeit of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the entire law. We know that, right? The Antichrist, uh, Antichrist is the lawless one. Jesus is the God of creation. The Antichrist is the son of destruction. Jesus deserves our worship. The Antichrist, we see, sits in God's sanctuary and demands it. Jesus declares and is the truth. The Antichrist peddles unrighteousness, deception. Uh, he, he is going to deceive as many people as he can. Jesus was revealed from heaven the Antichrist will be revealed from earth. Jesus will come for his church. The Antichrist will come in Satan's power. Isaiah 14, we learn that Satan failed in his first attempt to dethrone God. We learn about that in Isaiah. Okay, go back and read that. Isaiah 14. But he will not be deterred from one final attempt at this coup. And we see that throughout Scripture. So who will be the Antichrist? Well, we don't know. And I don't think we can know. Every attempt to identify the Antichrist throughout history has failed. Because obviously he has not come yet. While we cannot know who he will be, uh, we do know that he will come. Paul makes that clear. An unhealthy fixation on the Antichrist will only distract us from the beautifully healthy fixation on Jesus Christ, right? Back to the dollar bills. If you want to know the truth, spend the time with the real thing. And then you won't be deceived by the counterfeit. If you're worried about the Antichrist, get to know Jesus Christ and then you will know who the Antichrist is if he comes while we are alive on this earth. The Antichrist will come, will deceive, will set himself up and declare himself God. We see that there at the end of verse 4. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So we get some information here in verses 5 to 7. Uh, it's very interesting stuff that Paul is saying here. The promise of Christ's return 
is supposed to bring or was supposed to bring peace and hope and comfort to these saints, yet in some ways it was having the opposite effect. However, they really had no excuse for allowing this to be so troubling to them because Paul had taught them, right? So even though there was somebody spreading false gospel, false doctrine, false truths, they should have known because he had already taught them about that. He had laid uh, out that Christ was coming again and that he hadn't already come. So do you not remember what I already told you in person, face to face? But they were deceived. One commentator uh, that I read this week said, there's really no excuse. Their gullibility was an emotional reaction to the stress of their situation. However, truth is not determined by emotions or circumstances. It's determined by scripture. We as believers must allow biblical truth and theology to rise above our circumstances in every situation. And there's so much truth in that. We can't forget the truths of the scriptures. We can't forget the truths that our salvation is based on because of something that's going on around us. Paul also reminds us of another teaching. It says, and and you know what is restraining him now uh, so that he may not, or so that he may be revealed in his time, right? What's restraining him now so that he's going to be revealed at a certain time. Another example of what Paul has already taught them, he assumes they already know, right? Who is restraining him? Well, we find out he who now restrains it. God is sovereign over all humanity, all history, and the Holy Spirit will not allow God's timetable to be dictated by anyone. The Holy Spirit is in control. Interestingly enough, Paul says that the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Essentially, the spirit of the Antichrist has existed for centuries and millennia. The lawless one will come, but but lawlessness, it's already here. Again, it's like me sitting there going, oh man, I'm reading these things, and these things are going on all around us already. But the Antichrist is not here. The one who opposes God will come, but there are already so many that oppose God today. The one who sets himself up as God in his temple may uh, be yet to appear, but idolatry of every kind, it just... pervades our society. You may miss the actual Antichrist. There's no guarantee that you'll be alive when he comes and reigns in power, in his power, but you are experiencing the spirit of the Antichrist every day. And this is why we must be ready. We must be more salt and light, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, representatives in this world. And that's what Paul wants them, to remember what they have been taught. Get back to who you are. Don't allow these false teachings to knock you off course. Because when the Holy Spirit allows it, he will burst onto the scene with great power and influence. The Antichrist will, but not until God in his sovereignty allows it. And it's going to be a worldwide event. We will know if we are alive. Picking up in in verse 8. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Let's begin at the end. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. The power of Satan himself will fuel this man's rise, his conquest of the world. This will be no small power. He will even be able to produce false signs and wonders that will amaze his devoted followers and and that he'll be able to crush enemies. For those who are perishing, those people will rally around this man. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. They're going down with the ship. Make no mistake, this man will be powerful. He will literally rule the world. Again, this isn't the only place in Scripture that we see writings about the Antichrist. But now let's go back to verse 8. We get to see his end. Again, Paul has taught them these things, and now he's reassuring them through this. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Well, there we go, right? The power of the Antichrist, the power of of Satan himself, both those things, they're nothing when compared to the preeminence of Jesus Christ. It says here, by the mere breath of his mouth, he lays to waste those who oppose him. That's our Jesus Christ. That's who we believe in. That's who we placed our faith in. By his mere coming, he will topple the most mighty warriors of creation. Because again, Jesus Christ is the creator. He has all power. This is awesome. This here, these truths that we find, not only about his second coming, but all his truths throughout scripture, that should cause us as a church body to worship. To, to walk boldly through whatever this world full, uh, throws at us. When we come to church on Sunday, we should be motivated, motivated by these truths. And that we should, we should be here to express with, at least I'll speak for myself, my feeble attempt through singing, through prayer, how in awe we are of our creator God that we know these truths because we read them, we study them, we try to understand them. And we're not shaken by what the world tells us or what comes at us. We can have a boldness that only comes through that relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether it's the spirit of the Antichrist that you and I are even battling this day, or, or once the Antichrist himself comes, we know that Jesus wins. The Antichrist will not. And those are great truths. Picking up in verse 11. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure 
in unrighteousness. Kind of an interesting way to end this section, uh, these verses, by the deceptiveness of his miracle signs and, and wonders. The Antichrist will be successful in leading many to follow him. The full effect of his work will be embraced by untold numbers of people who would rather believe what is false than trust in what is true. We've seen that throughout this passage and in others. But as deceptive as the Antichrist will be, each and every person is ultimately responsible for his or her fate. Christ provides a way to be forgiven, forgiven of sins, and enter into a relationship with the Father. However, most refuse to admit the need for a Savior. And what we do with Jesus the truths of Jesus Christ, what we decide about him will seal our own fates. As John Stott put it, behind the great deception, which is what we've been talking about here, is the great refusal. These closing verses paint a a chilling portrait of the fate of those who harden their hearts towards God. And if you remember back when we were studying the book of Genesis, I know a lot of you uh, uh, maybe have come since that. This was that was a a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, We we talked about Pharaoh, right, in Genesis, and then actually in Exodus, uh, and, and and he hardens his heart towards. The, the miracles that were being done, right? And he continues on in unbelief to the point where God says, okay, I've given you every option and every opportunity to change, and God ultimately finishes the hardening. It says here, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, People start down their path. God gives them opportunity after opportunity, and yet some continue on in rejection. Human responsibility and and, and divine sovereignty live side by side in God's truth. It's difficult for us sometimes to live with that tension, but it is tension that, that I pray I will understand more fully in eternity, but for now I'm going to trust God. And just as last week we examined that God's righteousness and his justice are displayed in both his mercy and his judgment. Today we see that that God will condemn those who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When you hear the good news of Jesus Christ you make a decision. And when you make that decision over and over and over to reject the one who paid the penalty of your sin in your rebellion, you can get to the place where you're so hardened that you can't hear the truth anymore. Paul loved the church in Thessalonica. Although he was frustrated, he came to them in love. And he wanted them to understand. And I think in in God's sovereignty, Holy Spirit was there to empower these writings so that we would have them today. Because I think it's the same uh, hope today that Paul had for his church. God has for our church. 
for you and I to understand. So today you might be sitting out there and you might need to choose, as Paul was talking about, people choosing, right? Choose to put your faith in Jesus for salvation from sin and rebellion that you are living under, that you are living in. To place your faith in Jesus Christ and and trust his plan for the future. If that is you, if you're making that decision today, any one of us would love to talk to you. Uh, Pastor Dave, myself, Pastor Derek, or maybe whoever brought you or, or just grab someone. We would love to talk to you about that if today you are making that decision for the first time. We would love to help you walk down the path of discipleship or of the Christian walk. So if that's you today, don't let today go by without talking to someone about it. Salvation that was brought through and bought by the shedding of his blood on the cross. Your decision as to what you believe about Jesus Christ is the most important decision you will ever make. 